personality creates your personal reality. Authentic power is when your personality comes to serve the energy of your soul. The truth is the body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away. Thank you for tuning in to the Recondition podcast. I'm Lauren Vaknin. I'm a health writer and holistic wellness coach. And my own journey from disability to remission taught me that wellness through a mind-body approach can take time when we don't know where to begin. And that's why I created this podcast, to bring you the answers to all your well-being questions in the most accessible way possible. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. Hello everyone, welcome back to Reconditioned with Lauren Vaknin. I have just recorded the most incredible episode with Alex Cantone, who is a human design reader, but she actually developed, she's created her business based on human design for children, so for parents to understand their children. Now, if you've never heard of human design, human design kind of offers a a, a manual that indicates how you are unique as a person and guides you in living in a way that is really in sync with who you are. I found human design to be incredible in terms of when I knew my specific design and you find out your design based on your time and place and all your birth details basically, it gave me the licensing to really be who I know I'm meant to be. And I felt, and I'd always wanted to do for a while, I'd wanted to do an episode with a human design reader, but I, I I don't know why I put it off, but then I understood when I came across Alex on Instagram that it was because that was the angle I was meant to take, that I was meant to talk to you guys about human design in the way of how we use it to parent our children, understanding our children's own uniqueness and being able, being given the tools to parent them in the way that they need to thrive I mean, what a gift is that? Such a gift. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Um, Alex was kind enough to actually do the charts for my whole family. And what she did was give a live reading for me and Braxton, because we couldn't do it for all four of us. And as Braxton's my biggest challenge, we thought it would be great if she could help me and give me the tools to understand him and how to parent him in the most effective way. So she actually did a live reading. And by doing that, it will give you a better understanding of what human design is and how you can use it to implement it into your parenting um, and kind of give you those tools to cultivate your child's authenticity and uniqueness. There was so much more we could have gone into because Alex actually wanted to go into more stuff about me and my childhood because she said that in order to be the best parent, you have to understand yourself and how you were parented. So there was a lot about, we did some of that, and there was a lot that we couldn't get onto because we just didn't have the time. But uh, it's super interesting, super expansive, and I think you're gonna love it. So I really hope you enjoy. And if you do enjoy it, please let me know, get in touch, rate, review, and subscribe, because that really helps other people to find the podcast and find these episodes that might help them in their journey towards reconditioning. 
Alex has also very kindly offered a discount code for people who would like to have a reading with her and have their children's charts drawn up. Um, so please head over to the show, the show notes to access that discount code. Hope you enjoy the episode. gained a master's degree in inclusive education with a focus in developmental models of autism intervention, always feeling as though she wasn't quite designed for the mainstream school system and upset to have fallen through the cracks, she came across human design as a concept which opened everything up for her in terms of how we understand ourselves. Once she was able to consider her own unique learning environment and the way she gathers information based on her own unique design, Alex was able to take her studies and area of focus to the next level. She now shares her expertise in human design child development with an online learning community for parents, a way to educate parents on their own child's uniqueness and how to work with it, not against it, to ensure that the child thrives by being exactly who they were meant to be and that we, in turn, enjoy the parenting experience. Alex believes that parents are here to liberate their children and guide them to their brilliance. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Massachusetts. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I love um, talking. So <laughs> that makes two of us. Maybe we'll be here for about five hours. Um, no, so you're so welcome. And I'm so excited about this because I find human design totally fascinating. And I haven't delved into it as much as I've wanted to just because of lack of time. But what I have learned about myself and by learning what my design was, it was like, wow, that's so spot on. Oh my God, I can't believe how, how spot on that is. So I know that by understanding my chart and my design, it's going to open up everything for me. But the reason that I wanted to speak to you specifically is because you use it to, to help parents become better parents. And so I knew that that was the right angle for us because as parents we kind of all have these ideas about the kind of parent we want to be but then our children are born and they will come obviously with their own unique design which could be totally different to ours and it just throws everything off so I love how you're giving parents the tools to parent in a way that specifically suits their children's needs uh, but before we dive into that I think it would really help everyone listening if you could tell us exactly what human design is. Yeah so human design is essentially a system that offers us a roadmap to our uniqueness. So as you were saying, there are all of these expectations that we might have for our own lives, for the behavior um, of those around us. And when those aren't fulfilled, you know, we act out in different ways and it further pulls us away from our nature. So human design is just a toolbox of different types of ancient systems and wisdom and science and genetics. And it, it, it combines all of that into this really fine-tuned package to give us a deeper awareness of who we are and who we are meant to be without conditioning from the outside world. Wow. How did it actually start? Where did it come from and how, how was it kind of put together? It's sort of a 
woo-woo story. There was a man named Ra Uruhu. He was um, exploring around and found himself near this, this cave, this sort of hut where he was staying for the time being, um, you know, on some sort of a retreat. And the actual story is in one of the books, which is like the Bible of human design. And I actually haven't read it in so long, but essentially what he did was he had this like episode where he sat there and was in this deep sort of transcendental meditation where he channeled and downloaded the entire system. And it just kind of flashed right there before him for a a span of days. I believe it was eight days that he was sitting there receiving these downloads. And from there, the basics, the foundational elements of the system was really born. And he was able to see how all of these different practices like astrology and the tree of life and the I Ching and the Kabbalah and our epigenetics and our, you know, genetic imprint and our DNA came together to combine, to create the essence of who our soul chose to be and what sort of lessons and work it chose to play out in this lifetime that we have. So how you assess your human design and find your human design, what's funny is often people who are brand new come and might say, oh, how do I take the quiz to find out what type I am? And it's important to understand that this isn't a personality typing quiz that changes over time. This is something that was given to you, a, like I said, a you know, a map of your uniqueness that was imprinted into you based on the exact time and place um, that you were born. So it all has to do with your exact time of birth and the location and, you know, exactly where you were when you were, when you were born. And that essentially tells us the roadmap to how you're meant to play out this life experience. It's just fascinating. What I like about human design is that I think in society we've come to accept that we have to abide by certain ways of being, even if that doesn't necessarily align with our true authentic selves. And what I found with human design, even though, as I said, I haven't really delved yet, you know, I haven't had a reading, I just kind of got my my basic chart. What that did for me was almost give me the licensing to be who I know I am. And when it, all these things I know about myself already, but sometimes I don't allow myself to fully be that because I'm not supposed to. This was like, It gave me the licensing to be okay with that. Yes, this is you and this is authentically you and this is who you were put on this earth to be. So go do you, you know? So that's what I love about it. Um, And I like on your website how you spoke about how you didn't feel like school was a place for you, but you tried to blend in. Um, Because I know so many of us feel like that. And you wrote, many highly intelligent and capable children slip through the cracks because their genius is not nurtured with an aware, fertile environment around them. They are forced into a system that does not consider their unique learning needs. And the child is forced to adapt to the herd rather than learn and evolve into their own unique intelligent selves. I'd like you to talk about this more because I'm a huge fan of holistic education just for this very reason because I feel like we don't nurture our children's personal strengths. We kind of just focus on the curriculum and their weaknesses as opposed to their strengths. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? 
Yeah. I, I think that this like mission or intention sort of stemmed from my previous experience before I started the business, because I went to school to be a teacher. And I knew from a very young age that in some capacity I was meant to, and I was going to work with children and families. I mean, from five years old, I was telling my mom, I want to teach parents how to be good parents. And she was like, I don't understand what that means, but, um, looking back, it's, it's so amazing. I, I truly feel like I knew what I was meant to do right off the bat, you know? And along the way, I felt that the, it seemed that due to the system, the only avenue to go down was to become a teacher, right? That was the only way to help children, help families. And that's the path that I chose. So I kept finding myself, and I tell this story often in different educational settings. I've been in public schools. I've been in private schools. I've been in Montessori environments. Um, Even the ones from so rigid and classic as we know to be the public education system to the places that, and I'm not going to, you know, give any systems or Uh, the more natural ones, a a bad reputation, because I really don't believe there's anything like good or bad, but the ones that claimed to honor a child's uniqueness more. But I saw the same common thread, no matter where Mm -hmm. I was from one end of the spectrum to the other and everything in between. And it was exactly what you were saying, which is the focus was always on trying to improve a child's weaknesses, no matter how much in these systems claimed to want to set a child up for success and thrive and really honor their strengths and their gifts, the curriculum and the standards, it just, there was not room to honor that. And I just was continuously disappointed and discouraged because every time I thought I was getting myself into the next best situation, it was like, this is going to be the one, this is going to be the school that blows me out of the water. And we're just so homogenized, you know, we're so stuck in the same cycle of trying to do things the way that they were imprinted into us, that even if we are well-intended, it can be such a challenge to pull away from that understanding of, you know, or even just the concept of what if we focused less on trying to improve or help a child where they were struggling and instead we just fully focused on what it was that they loved to do so much? But even I say that out loud and there's part of me that kind of winces and I'm like, but is it possible? Because we, it's so deeply ingrained in us to have to improve the things that are our weaknesses. And I think that the education system, at least maybe not the system itself, but the people who are being exposed to it in our generation and, you know, the, the children of our generation are starting to see that maybe there is a different way Mm. that maybe education isn't the safest and best place for children to be as we know it right now. Maybe there are things we need to change. So my experience and my intention comes from firsthand being a professional in the classrooms and just feeling like, what can I possibly do for these kids to not dim their magic and their light, but feeling like there were so many eyes and limitations on me that if I didn't perform in a certain way, then I wouldn't be able to keep my job. So I had to choose. Mm -hmm. Do I stay in this job 
or do I leave? And I did what most don't do and I left and I decided to start doing it my own way because for me, I was doing a disservice not only to myself, but to children and families by continuing to allow myself to behave under the lens of a system that I just simply don't resonate with, you know, regardless of what other opinions say. Well, credit to you because most people, like you say, wouldn't do that. And it's people like you who change, who make change happen. And I totally agree with everything you say. I mean, I, one of my idols, because I'm a bit of a geek like that, was Sir Ken Robinson, who just recently passed, the education guru, who kind of, yeah, I learned so much from his books about uh, education. And I'm such a big believer that we need to nurture our children's strengths, not their weaknesses. So moving on to that, you have very kindly offered... Instead of us talking through how human design works with our children, you have offered to read my family's charts so we can be a live example of how this works. And just to, to, to clarify, what Alex does is there are human design readers out there that, that read your charts. What Alex specifically does is read your child's charts against your own to enable you to parent in the best way possible for your child's unique persona so um alex has offered to read our chart so that we can do this live reading and hopefully it will really open up everything about what human design is and how we can use it to be better parents um so yeah i'm so excited about this so let's go let's do it so the the thing i want to kind of start out with is saying that something that's so important because a lot of times you go to my website, you see my offerings, you see something called a child chart reading. And a lot of parents might assume that, oh, this is really only just meant for my child, right? So if I just have the instruction manual for them, that's going to give me all the answers I need. But like you said, having it side by side with your own child chart reading. So essentially what we did for you was create a child chart reading, which is all of the same information just catered to your energetic blueprint. And that helps you. I mean, I always suggest, you know, print them out or pull them up on your computer and have them side by side because we go through things like daily living and bedtime routines, movement, and really, really practical information. It's not um, a lot of people deliver it in different ways. And I just choose to deliver it in like, what do you need to know for day to day? How does this child's energy and aura, you know, dictate how they're meant to go into a restful night's sleep or nap or move or communicate? So what you can do is kind of take a time, you know, go back in time and look at your child chart and look at all of the ways in which you were meant to be nurtured and honored according to your uniqueness and your nature and see what things did I miss out on? Because it's likely that a lot of the things that you missed out on are playing out in ways that you are trying to make up for in your child's lives. So you might see a lot of the things that you lacked are things that you're overcompensating for with your child. But where you're missing, you know, the missing link for a lot of parents is that information in your child chart reading is not how you are meant to parent your child. It's how you're meant to parent yourself so that your needs are taken care of, so that your child isn't supposed to be some reflection of your unmet needs or something that is a self-fulfilling prophecy because you have unmet needs and you don't have the tools to take care of yourself. 
So it's all well-intended because I really want parents to be so equipped to care for themselves um, from the lens of that inner child that they can show up filter-free when it comes to parenting their little one. That's just so profound, isn't it? Because that really makes us, it's so true. We can't parent, we can't be the best parents that we need to be if we don't understand ourselves properly and don't understand maybe what we were lacking um, in childhood or, you know, wherever in order to be able to become the best versions of ourselves. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. So before we get started, can you just explain what the different, um, is, is it there's five human design types? Yes, there's five energy types. So if you were to look at it sort of like the tip of an iceberg, um, the very tip is your type alone, right? So when we know the tip of the iceberg is only what we can see, there's so much beneath the surface that Mm. it makes us who we are on such a more differentiated, individualized level. So if the tip of the iceberg is the energy type, um, that's essentially how the world sees us, how we dance with the world, how we communicate with those around us, um, how our energy fluctuates and moves. And it does give us so much information about the way in which we're meant to relate with and behave and um, nurture and support our children, which is why I spend a lot of time focusing on energy type in the child chart reading. So the five types are, we have what's called our energy types. These are our sacral beings. So these are our generators and manifesting generators. And together they make up about 70% of the population. So they're really the majority. Um, And that's kind of where we get like our drive and our life force and that go-go like worker sort of energy that we know to be normal in, you know, around us in society. And then we have what's called, what's referred to as our non-energy types. These are the beings who have undefined motor, you know, sacral motor centers. So they are meant to operate in different ways. And all three of them have very unique auras, one being the manifester, which is the type that you are. And then we have the projector, which is the type that I am. And we have the reflector, which is the rarest of all. And they make up about 1% of the population with manifestors being the second rare, making up about three to four. And then we have projectors about 20%. So all of those numbers, we find that they actually are very accurate because we've done thousands of charts at this point. And you can see all the numbers are, are, are very accurate. Um, but I do see an influx of projectors coming in more often and manifestors too, because I do believe that projectors and manifestors, um, might have it the, the, mo- the hardest just due to the nature of their aura and how different they are compared to how we're typically homogenized and conditioned to be and behave. And I'm a manifester. So <clears throat> it makes sense to me. Again, like I said, it gave me the licensing to be who I am because it makes sense because I've never fit in to any sort of paradigm. I've always been, I've always had different views to the mainstream. I've always had different, even as a child myself, I was a difficult child for my parents to parent, you know, because they couldn't understand me a lot of the time. So, so let's get started on this because this is, this is going to reveal so much. (laughs) Yeah. So I actually want to ask you, you said you, they had a hard time parenting you. What were their biggest challenges? I was very intense. Um, and I was, I was labeled as difficult a lot of the time. So things that wouldn't bother other people would bother me. I was really, really a perfectionist. And 
I speak to my mum about this quite a lot. Obviously, I was diagnosed with arthritis just before my second birthday, so I never knew life without a chronic illness. So could a lot of that be to do with that and always feeling other, you know, like I was on the outside, or could it be just who I am or, or a combination of both, probably the latter? Um, but I was very intense, and I think that's the, the easiest word to describe me everything bothered me a lot and I was very very you know I'm really an empath so as a child that's difficult I mean things that other children didn't know about and I always use this example when the Gulf War broke out I was six and I was so obsessed by what was going on with the Gulf War and so scared because all I was hearing all the time was this is going to be a world war and you know my family were in the Middle East and you know, and I could have named all, you know, Saddam Hussein and George W. Bush and, you know, Colin Powell and all these people. I knew who they were and I was six years old. And I, when on the day that the Gulf War ended, I cried with relief. I just took the energy of the entire world around me into me. <clears throat> like seeing images of Romanian orphans and dirty orphanages with flies all over them and the starving children in Africa being fed maize porridge. These were images that stuck with me forever because I had no way of separating them from me. They were human and so was I, and, and so we were one. And I just couldn't fathom that this suffering was happening. I just couldn't deal with it. I, I felt energy, everyone else's energy, all the time. And I had no way of knowing kind of how to move it through me or out of me, or that, even, that it was even a thing. So the world just felt like a very daunting place most of the time. And the main point, I guess I was highly sensitive and it impacted pretty much everything I did, said or felt. And I guess that's just not an easy thing for parents to try and manage. My mum is actually an empath herself, but her makeup is very much that she's an empath without being highly sensitive. So she's able to not worry about things that haven't happened yet or things that are happening far away. She can just kind of remove herself from it because you can't go through life not being able to remove yourself unless you want to go through life depressed. And I suppose what I can recognise now is that I suffered from anxiety. But that term wasn't available to us really in the 80s and early 90s. So the outcome was just, Lauren is difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, it's so it's so interesting because this is why I love the system. I'm I have your chart pulled up, and as you're speaking, you're telling the story of your design, right? So you just don't have the words to put on. Oh, this is because I'm this. Mm. This is because I'm that. But as you speak about your childhood, and that's why I always ask questions about the childhood because it's so raw and real because it's preconditioning. You know, that first seven years, it's really when you're most impressionable. That's the purest you're ever going to be in your whole entire mm. life. And it's before you have that sort of outward view of, oh, you know, I am separate from this and the world doesn't revolve around me. Mm. And, um, so to be able to speak from that little girl self and to identify words such as intense and difficult and challenging and empath and sensitive, um, I can feel whenever people are talking and I kind of, because of some of my chart qualities, when people are speaking, I kind of see like colors and energy. So I see things differently. And I hear a lot of heaviness and almost like shame 
that's with those words that you're speaking when well because I was almost you know because my parents didn't understand me because they were so different to me and I have to give credit to my parents and I think you know most parents we can say they do the best they can with what they've got and my parents were dealing with me having an illness and my younger sister and my mum worked full-time and still did the cooking and you know cooked a fresh meal every night and the cleaning and everything everything and then when I would have you know, a complete meltdown because, you know, because I was very over, highly sensory, high sensory as well. So there'd be a loud noise or, you know, very sensitive to smells or to, you know, I wouldn't go to fireworks parties and Lauren's ruining the fun again because we can't go to this because Laura doesn't want to go to a party because there's going to be balloons and, you know, all the stuff like that. So it's just, it's very hard to understand those things before you have an awareness of them. And, you know, I've written a memoir, so I've really delved into myself. I've done a lot of inner child healing, so I can sit and talk about this almost in a third person way because I'm looking at it almost from a bird's eye, bird's eye point of view um, and I can talk about it quite openly. Um, and I guess a lot of people don't haven't done that yet until you really delve and it takes a long time to do that. Um, yeah. It does. Yeah. It takes time. And that's the thing is, you know, you can't force yourself to live your design. I think that because of, again, if we go back to the education system, there's all these ways that we've been forced to, uh, do things a certain way, or people have put beliefs in us that say, if you just train yourself, you can do it. So we have this idea sometimes when we come to the system and it's, oh, well, if I just know all the ins and outs, if I know every single detail, then I can live in alignment, right? But alignment really has nothing to do with being happy or being perfect or being the best possible version of who you think you should be. It's about knowing all of those pieces. And like you said, looking at your life through a bird's eye view and hearing the words that you say, like challenging and difficult and intense and going, wait a minute, that's part of me. Yes. Because me living in, me living in so-called alignment would have been, okay, don't be so sensitive. I probably left out that word, which was probably the most important word. Don't be so sensitive and don't let these things bother you. That wouldn't have been me living in alignment, but it would have been me living in alignment as per what everyone else needed from me. Absolutely. So true. And that's so important to be able to separate those two things, right? What people think you should, how people think you should be and behave and how you're really meant to be and behave. So to kind of like go back to uh, your design and what it says is the manifester, just again, that tip of the iceberg, the energy, the aura, I always describe it as sharp, as intense, and also very protective. So I love manifestors. Um, my dad's actually a manifester. So I grew up being parented by a manifester, which is, was a very interesting experience. And I have always found myself surrounded by a couple manifestors in my life. And I like to keep them close because there, there was another thing that you said that I thought was so interesting, which was you always sort of had... I don't know how you worded it, but it was something along the lines of you always sort of had like different ideas about how things should be, or maybe mm. it was bothersome. You said to see people maybe doing something a certain way when you knew you didn't want it to be that way. Mm. And that is truly the greatest gift of the manifestor aura because you are sharp and intense and protective. Um, you're sort of meant to almost stand, you know, if you look at like a wolf pack and the, the leader of the wolf pack is never at the front. Mm. 
they're always at the back. So they're always the last one. Mm. So we say, oh, manifestors are meant to be not necessarily these leaders, but like the change makers, the freedom seekers, the people who break us free of the old systems and the chains. And it, it makes sense why you're so interested in this system and that you're doing the line of work that you're doing because you're meant to sort of kind of stand behind the pack and watch what the pack is doing. And then when it's time, you kind of swoop in and you're like, we have to go this way. You know, when it's not by going in front of them and leading them, but more showing them collectively where they're meant to go and where they're meant to draw their attention towards. So all of those times that you may have been difficult or intense, those were more like cries for help or communication, please, of, you know, can we do this this way instead? And when the manifester is not given the freedom and the space to really express themselves to the fullest capacity, which does require a lot of freedom and a lot of space because manifester is like, you are not meant to be told what to do. You know, mm -hmm. I would never sit with you and say, you need to do this, this, and that. I would never do that to anyone, but especially a manifester. You might've found that when someone told you what to do, you almost wanted to do the exact opposite yeah. to be like, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to listen. Um, it could have gone that way, or you could have learned over time that you would have been met with less resistance when you did maybe just like quiet yourself mm -hmm. and dim your own light and follow the pack. But often manifestors can go in one of two ways. They shut off that drive that ability to initiate and really have that forward thinking, you know, kind of like movement towards the, the better, the greater, the future, um, you know, or yeah, they, they either shut it off or they're like overly to the point yeah. where almost so intense that no one is listening because they're failing to initiate. They're failing to tell people about their whereabouts, which is such an important thing. So as a manifester, even though you're meant to like be this forward thinker and be this freedom seeker. And I always just picture like a path and a manifester, just like blazing a trail, you know, blazing a new trail. You see these paths and you're like, screw it. I'm just going to blaze my own trail. I'm going to do this and people are going to follow. Um, but if you don't tell people where you're going, then yes. no one's going to know how to find you. It's so, everything you just said is so interesting because I did both of those things. So as a child, I learned that if I carried on being how I was, intense and difficult and no one understood me, I eventually learned that I wasn't going to get very far because no one understood that. So in my teenage years, I literally, every single effort went into conforming. I had to be the perfect version of a teenage girl so I developed an eating disorder and when it came to choosing what subjects I wanted to study, I didn't know myself because all my efforts in school were spent on making people like me, making myself look pretty and I thought that would get me through. And so that's really interesting, you know, and then even when I kind of found my path a little bit, maybe I want to do this, maybe I want to go down this path, I couldn't because it was just all in my mind my efforts were just spent on making boys like me and making myself look nice and just being this person that everyone wants to see. Then what happened was life went on and, you know, I went through some really tough times with the illness and I became disabled. And from that, through getting better, 
then I went the other way, which is what you just described, and, you know, blazing this trail, but no one wanted to listen because I was shouting it. So all these views I had, I was just so hell-bent on getting them heard, and I just went in, all guns blazing, in a way that no one's going to listen like that, you know? And that was kind of, I guess, a decade ago. And then I thought, oh, okay, now I know myself. I don't have to scream and shout about this. I can just study and research and know what I'm talking about and sow seeds and, you know, people will listen and this is who I am. And so I get much, I get much more acceptance now, but equally because of, I think, the energy that I put out in terms of being authentically me without being too forceful with it, I've developed, I've cultivated an amazing group of like-minded friends. So, which was always something that I found difficult because I either had to conform to these other girls or I had to have no friends, you know? So that was so, so spot on. And for anyone listening who's got a manifester child, and you can obviously, you know, know that by getting in touch with Alex and, and having their child. And by the way, these charts are so comprehensive and we're going to go through it all, everything from how, you know, you should deal with them at, at meal times and at bedtime. But for anyone who's got a manifester child, my gosh, like, let them be intense, you know, just, just let that be okay. Yeah. And one of the things that I always find to be so helpful for parents of manifestors, because there's this, you know, we're so about that tip of the iceberg and we'll go, we'll keep referencing back to that as we peel back the layers in your chart. So we have that manifestor, which is like the overarching theme. It's the, the very, very tip. And then below that, we have something called the strategy and the strategy is just dependent on the energy type. So if you're a manifestor, you have the strategy, which is to inform and you are are really meant to inform others of your actions, not in a sense of asking permission or to receive validation or confirmation or any sort of, yeah, like permission to, you know, do what you want to do, but really just to give people a heads up. Like you said, you have to blaze the trail, but you can't shout it at them once you've blazed mm-hmm. it. You know, you have to be like, I'm going to go blaze this trail and you're going to inform people of what you're doing as you're doing it, not necessarily forcing them to come on the bandwagon with you, but by telling, giving kind of like raising your hand and going, okay, I'm over here now. Okay. I'm over here now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I'm here. And then you are able to map out your path so that if people do choose to follow you, they know exactly the steps that you took so they can follow suit. So I always say for parents of manifestors, um, the worst thing you can do is tell your kid what to do. And like, what do we, parenting revolves around placing demands on our children. Oh, and it's so difficult. It is. It's difficult not to, but I feel like this, this will give us the tools to know how to do that effectively. Yeah. And that's why I put the communication tool section in there, which we can kind of scroll down to, and then we can go back up. But, um, the communication tools is about finding ways to communicate with your child that isn't placing demands. So I have these do's and don'ts and, um, don'ts for the manifester is like interrogating them, asking for too many details, asking those, but whys, you know, are pushing your advice on them. So if you were to say, I'm going to go down this path and someone says, yeah, but that path doesn't look very, you know, it it looks kind of messy. It looks like it's going to be a lot of work or you really shouldn't do that. You should go down this path instead. It's not anyone else's place to tell you, especially your child, what path they should go down. You know, really as a manifestor child um, and as a manifestor adult, you're meant to say, I'm going to do this thing. 
And then as long as it falls within the safety, of course, because we want to make sure that we're not just saying that you're not going to have a three-year-old who's going, I'm going to go take a walk to the park, Mm. but you might have a three-year-old who tries to leave the house as a manifester because it's not hardwired in them to inform, to say, I'm doing this. They might just do it. So we have to figure out age appropriate ways for manifestor children to be able to inform parents and caregivers of their whereabouts, not so they can form and fit in, but more so, so that we can keep them safe. And I always say, let your manifestor push limits and let them go beyond your comfort zone. It might be a little bit of a mini heart attack in the beginning, but as long as you are modeling, informing and telling them, you know, you're saying, if you're going to say, here's an example, if you're going to go take the garbage out and you have to bring it to the end of the driveway or something, instead of just opening up the door and going and take the garbage, taking the garbage out, even if they, you don't necessarily think they're listening to you, just telling them, just saying, I'm going to go out and, and take the garbage out now. So informing them of your whereabouts throughout the day sort of hardwires them to do the same back to you so that you always have a safe radar on them. So it's not like, oh my gosh, where did Lauren go? And suddenly you're trying to walk across the street as a three-year-old and that can be very dangerous, right? So it's like, yes, we want to push the limits, but we don't want to... um create non-negotiable demands and we don't want to do anything that is not going to ensure safety. Cause I don't want to be giving yeah, this type of guidance and then have parents like, well, I'll give them all this freedom and then, you know, use they your to new. into it. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you told them, you told me not to, you know, stop yeah, yeah. them, <laughs> but the manifester over time, this is, this is probably going to be the teenager who you had the experience where maybe you conformed and tried to be normal a little bit more, but you might have the manifester who completely rebels, mm-hmm. you know, and completely goes against what, uh, you expected them to be. And in a sense, that's okay. You also have to ask yourself though, what wasn't I allowing early on? You know, because there was something and maybe they're just meant to go out and adventure and that's not your path so that it feels different. But for the manifester, we have to really, um, my, my word is like maybe dissolve the projections that we have Mm. for how their life is going to play out. Because first and foremost, they are the authority. They are the leaders of their own lives and anything that we try to do, they're going to object against it. Right. That's so fascinating. So what, so now obviously when we spoke about this before we were recording, I said, you know, let's, let's focus on Braxton because he's my challenge. You know, everyone I think that's got kids has one that's more of a challenge than the others. He's my challenge. And so knowing his design and how I can adapt myself to it, it's going to help me so much. So what is Braxton's type? So Braxton is a generator. He is 
a pure generator, I believe. He's a sacral generator, which means that he, I described before that there are energy types and non-energy types, and you are one of the non-energy types, and he is the purest of all pure energy types. So it makes sense that you might have a little bit of a, a more of a challenging time with him because he's completely like hardwired completely different than you are. You know, mm-hmm. he has a lot of energy mm-hmm. and he's meant to use it. Yeah. And essentially, um, he's not meant to be controlled. And the number one thing for generators that I always say is as a parent, it's not your responsibility to control their energy levels. And I think that a lot of times, again, I keep, I always am going to refer back to the school system and I always reference to what I call the parenting police, which is basically just like a made up, you know, community of people. And it might not even be made up, but it's whoever's opinions, are unsolicited advice you're receiving from whatever voices you're hearing, whoever you're surrounding yourself with. It's like everyone thinks that they have the right to be the parenting police for the way that you parent. And you might hear from the parenting police, oh, you have to control him. Oh, we have to calm him down. Oh yeah. We have to make sure that, you know, he's too high energy. He's too much. (laughs) That's not good. And this is a four-year-old yeah. Who has a full tank of energy, a full tank. Like I have never seen. My my mother-in-law has had four children and has has four children and has six grandchildren and has said she's never dealt with anyone quite like him in terms of his energy levels. And I find it I am aware and I'm conscious when people tell him to calm down or when I feel the need to tell him to calm down. Because sometimes it's bedtime and we're trying to wind down and get Vida ready for bed and she's you know chilled lying on my bed watching tv and he's jumping on the bed and trying to throw the pillows everywhere and the thing is it's you know people have said do you think he's ADHD or ADD and actually he's he's not because you can see that in moments where he's and there are many of them moments where he's engaged and he sits down and the pediatrician that diagnosed his feeding disorder actually said and our osteopath who's medically trained, also said he's not in any way, he doesn't have any hyperactivity disorders, he's just got a lot of energy. And you do see it when he calms down and has these moments of focus and when he's doing something he's engaged in and he can, you know, look you in the eye and hold a conversation. But when he wants to be energetic, there is just no stopping him. Yep. Yep. And that's really what it's meant to be. So the way that we can kind of compare and contrast your energy here is that essentially, again, I'm going to go back to the non-sacral and sacral beings is the sacral is just this red square right in the center, kind of like the gut area of your body. So in the human design system, as people are going to be pulling their charts, when they're listening to this, they're going to see an image of a body that has nine different centers and they're either going to be white or they're going to be colored in. And when they're colored in, it means they're defined. So the signature of the, to to be a sacral being, to be a generator, a manifesting generator means that you have that square, that gut colored in. And as a manifester, you don't have that colored in. So naturally you have, I'm not going to say an energetic disadvantage, but here's how I describe the sacral. The sacral is like a gas tank, you know? So however, the, the gas station is like your bed. So when Braxton goes to sleep at night and he recharges everything that he, as he sleeps, that gas fills back up. And then in the morning he has a full gas tank. Mm -hmm. Now you as a manifester, you weren't built with a gas tank. 
you have different ways of accessing energy. Mm -hmm. Your energy operates in more cyclical ways. You might find that you go on like a surge, like you have like this urge to create for like seven hours straight or three hours straight. And then you kind of conk out and go. And then I need to have a bath and read and go to bed. Yeah. Whereas Braxton, I mean, even as an example, we went to Legoland last week with a close friend and her daughter, who the second we got in the car on the way home, just fell asleep. Braxton was poking her and and he'd been awake since six in the morning. She'd been awake only since eight. And he was poking her and singing and it was like an hour and a half journey. And at the end he was still awake. And my friend was like, how is he still awake? Lots of energy, lots of energy. And, you know, there, but there's ways to, and I'm not going to say there's ways to calm him down, but there's ways to support his energy so that we do find his natural cycles and we can work on that together. Mm. You know, we can even, we could talk another time and work on that more. Um, But in addition to having that full gas tank, so basically it's like, if you have that gas tank, we, you need to run it to empty every single day. And if you don't run it to empty, then you're at risk for experiencing hyper arousal later on in the day. That means that later at night, he's going to have a hard time going to sleep. And a lot of times you mentioned that he'll be like jumping on the bed and throwing pillows. We think, oh no, he's getting revved up, right? Like, oh man, he's meant to be calm. He's meant to be relaxing himself down into bed. But that's not the case for generators. I have parents of generators all the time who are sending me videos of their kids, like jumping from dressers onto the bed, (laughs) hitting pillows, like rolling and tumbling around with one another, having crazy wild dance parties at like 10 o'clock at night. And the reality is to you, it seems so intense because you're this manifester. You don't have that gas tank. So you're like, how are you not tired after that thing? Because it takes a lot more out of you to engage, you know, but for him, he still might be at half full at the end of the night. And sometimes getting to all the way empty might be hitting a pillow into a wall or jumping like crazy on the bed. And that's where we have to just get past our judgments about ourselves as parents. Oh, that's reckless. That's not right. That's teaching him bad manners. Any of these things. This is just a form of getting energy out. Like I always say to parents, if you have the space and the ability, if you have a generator, a manifesting generator child, get some of that like at home kind of gym equipment, you know, um, like crash pads. We've got, we've got indoor climbing frame and slide thing, which was the best purchase ever. (laughs) And, and just let him run on that at night, you know? And if you've gotten to the point where you're completely exhausted and depleted and you can't take it anymore, um, that's a signal that it's time for you to remove yourself from that situation. Because another thing is understanding that because you have that center undefined, you have that sacral center undefined, When you are in his space, not only is he running through his gas tank, but you're amplifying it. So you're almost like plugging into his motor like a Bluetooth speaker and making it louder. So now he's running almost like double energy. So there's a lot of times we think, oh, we need to be really hands-on. But as the manifester, it might even be better for you to step back and be in your own space and let him just tumble and slide and and run and do whatever he needs to do to burn out the energy. Again, I have parents who have kids who like run laps around the yard right before they go to sleep. Mm, And sometimes the generator is just going to crash where they land. And then you could pick them up and take them to bed. 
Um, but bedtime is going to look very different for these beings. And they also don't need as much rest as we do. Yeah, it's interesting because I am look you did um both my kids' charts and my husband's chart, and they're all three of them are generators. Um which is interesting really, because it will explain if Daniel has more of more ease in understanding them maybe or which I'm not sure he always does, but it will be interesting as they get older if they relate to him in a different way to how they relate to me. Yeah, I would be interested to know too. And that's something that will unfold over time. Mm -hmm. I think just you might find that you befriend people who are manifestors just because it's a like-minded person to connect with, right? And I find that... um, I connect with projectors very easily because we understand each other in a different way. So as a generator, he might just understand the mechanics of their energy differently, Mm -hmm. but again, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So not only is he a generator, but he has all of these other elements of his design. Each child has all of these other elements and that really flavors the uniqueness of who they are. And there's all of these other things, these centers, these activations, these numbers, the colors, everything you see on the chart. That's like, there's a reason why he has this energy and he has these defined motor centers. He has... So let's go through some of those. Let's go through some of these elements. I mean, obviously the chart's very comprehensive. So why don't you pick the things that you find parents find most helpful to know or understand? Okay. Well, the number one thing, so after type, um, for adults, I always say, go to your authority next. And that's like your decision-making process. So for you, your authority is called splenic. And ultimately that means that you're extremely intuitive. You have an in the moment, kind of a snap knowing there might be a voice, a little whisper in your ear that goes, do this thing. And you have to either act on it now, or you might lose the inspiration Mm. down the road. Right. The generator, um, can either be, have an emotional authority or have something called a sacral authority. What we have for Braxton, all three, Braxton, Vita, and and Daniel, your husband, um, they're all pure generators, which means they're all sacral generators and their authority comes from their gut. So basically what our job to do is to do for manifestors is like hand them opportunities on a plate as in options and go, do you want to do this or that? Sometimes open-ended things like, what do you want to do are too much. Because it's, how do I narrow it down, right? The generator needs something in front of their eyes to respond to, which might be very different for you as a splenic manifester, because for you, you're like, I want the choice. Yeah, I want the choice. But for them, they actually need options. So for Braxton, it might be, do you want apple juice or orange juice? And that's, you know, such a simple one. But we, we practice that generator response, that sacral motor response, by doing it with very small things in day to day. And that's how ultimately their authority blooms and grows because by honoring their choices, the little choices that don't give take us much effort throughout the day, they are able to show up for the bigger decisions and the big bigger choices that they have to make in life. So that's another one that's so important. And then next to that, we have something called our profile lines. Mm-hmm. And the profile, if the... Um, So if the energy type is like the dance that you're doing with the world and your strategy is more how you communicate and how others communicate with you, and then your authority is how you show up and make decisions and decide where you're going, then your profile is sort of like the costume that you wear when you show up. 
And the costume really, really flavors your energy. It's like the blanket we put over your energy. And everyone has two different flavors to their energy. So for you, um, you're a 2-4 profile. For Braxton, he's a 6-2 profile. So you both have the element of the second line and there's six different lines. So whenever um, we're looking at the profile lines and we're looking at a child and we see six, two, this means that that six, this is getting a little bit confusing here, but (sighs) bear with me. Um, The six line under 30 is going to be behaving as something called a third line. So ultimately, if you look at six, two for Braxton, he's four. You're looking at it at like a three, two. So I'll take you through a little trip through the profile lines and it's sort of like building, building a home. So if we have the one line, the one is like the foundational person. Let's see if you have any one lines in here. Yeah. So we have Vita is a five, one. So the one it's very investigative. You might find, is she a question asker? She's not even two yet, but <laughs> she's not even two yet, but she's very inquisitive and very, um, yeah. Curious. Yeah. Um, maybe hesitant, like sometimes a little cautious, but inquisitive and curious. And you might find that she grows to be, I didn't even realize that she was only one, but you might find that she grows to be a little bit more of a question asker, sometimes a little bit cautious and needs to like lay a foundation before she jumps into something. So that's just something to take note of. And again, this is all described in the child chart reading. So it's not anything you have to memorize. Um, And then that two line. So the two, which we have Braxton is a six, two, and you're a two, four. And the two line is really classified as this natural. Sometimes it's like the magician, the person who just happens to be good at everything they do. You might find that you just sort of catch on to things and you don't need to think much about it or look into it. You might be more inclined to just build a piece of furniture without reading the instruction manual. Oh God, that is not me. No, it's not. (laughs) Not with building furniture, not with building furniture. Well, it's not for every single thing, you know, um, just giving, giving an example, but you might find that there's just things that you're naturally very good at things that come innately to you. And for the, a lot of times, um, you might not be aware of it at first. This is something that often you might hear people come up to you and say, wow, you're so skilled in this, or you're so good at that. And you're like me. I'm good at that thing. I didn't even think about that thing, but it's all these natural talents and abilities that you have. Um, So that's part of Braxton's design and your design as well is sort of not needing to. And this is where I find it challenging with school is school expects us to behave like these first line beings who need to investigate, need to ask all the questions, need to dive into the information before they feel secure enough to move forward. Whereas a person who has the two in their profile might not always need to investigate might not always need to have all the answers. They might just be able to jump into something and sort of try it out. And that brings us into that third line. So we're thinking about Braxton here, even though he's a 6'2", we're looking at him as a third line. 
Um, and again, it's all going to make sense. I know it can be confusing for listeners who are like just getting into this, but this is a very important part, especially when it comes to parenting, because it's truly going to flavor their energy and give Mm. you so much more insight into how to support them. And that's why I put this in the child chart reading to make it super easy. Um, but we'll just focus on Braxton for, you know, time purposes and whatnot. And being a six, two, this means that he is behaving like this three. This is the trial and error. This is another piece of where a lot of his energy comes from. He needs to dive into things. He needs to explore. He needs to experiment. He needs to get his hands dirty. He's collecting all of this information and is going to be collecting throughout, you know, into adulthood until he's 30, really collecting and trial and error and diving in and sort of like the bin, I call it like been there, done that energy where he's Mm -hmm. like, all right, I got to dive into this thing. I'm done. I got to dive into the next thing. I'm done. And that can come off as hyperactive, high energy because he has this naturally explorative and curious nature. He has to jump into action. He has to go get his hands dirty. And that's such an important part of his growth and development is allowing him to trial and error, allowing him to fall and, you know, get burned a little bit and then come out on the other end with a little bit of insight because over time he's going to become this amazing role model for others after he collects all of the information about what is correct and incorrect for him. And he'll be able to be a natural guide. So interesting. And uh, what the one thing I picked up on here on your bedtime recipe part of the chart, it says to co-sleep or not. And with Braxton, it says um, it's healthiest if they sleep in their own room away from you have said while well, you're entitled to make your own choices, etc, etc. Your generator child could make sleep restless for you. Um, and it's healthiest if they sleep in their own room. And it's so interesting because I'd had all these preconceived ideas about co-sleeping and having him in our room. And he was always such a bad sleeper as a baby. But when we put him in his own room, things got a little bit easier. He needed that space. And it was interesting observing that because some of my friends who were really into co-sleeping and, you know, the whole, you know, children need to be with us all the time. They were like, no, you can't do that. You know, children have to be with you in the room. They have to fill you. And I was like, well, but he's sleeping better without me there. So there must be something to do there must be something in that that I need to pay attention to and observe. Yeah. And that's something that I always say, again, that's why I preface it by saying you're entitled to make your own decisions. Yeah. And it's really, again, that's another opportunity to trial and error is saying, well, it's, it's sort of like, well, I don't care what the voices around me are saying. He's sleeping better on his own. Yeah. So, right. It's, it's obviously maybe it's benefiting whoever, came up with the idea of co-sleeping and how that's helping them. And that may be great for some families, but if no one in the room is sleeping, then what are the actual benefits? Because if you know how important a healthy night's sleep is in releasing toxins and recharging and rejuvenating the body, then why would we go against what we know is actually allowing us all to have a good night's sleep? So for me, I'm like, why would we listen to that's again, that like parenting police thing? Well, well, the parenting police are saying to co-sleep, right? And, um, for the generator, it not only will it be challenging for him, but it will be hard for you too, to get a good night's sleep if you're next Mm. to him. And And that doesn't mean, 
Right. Right. So that's, what's so important too, is just understanding. And this is very similar across all of the charts, as I say, a very similar thing, because really we're meant to be in our own energetic aura. We're meant to be in our own space. In fact, a lot of people who discover human design end up having a partner and they end up getting two separate rooms and they sleep separately. You know, and they make time to sleep together or be together, like intimate in their in their bed, but then they'll sleep separately. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's so much nurturing, natural nurturing that takes place, again, detoxifying, emptying out and clearing out of all of the energy that we take on throughout the day when we sleep in our own space and have that that time to recharge. Mm-hmm. So it's all everyone's entitled to their own decision. And if you don't know which decision is correct for you, there's a tool in human design for that to happen to your authority. You have your intuition, you know, you can say, okay, well, what does my spleen say? What do I intuitively feel like is the correct thing for me and my family and and just for overall well-being? Let's move on to food because obviously all parents are, you know, this is a major subject for, for me, especially because of Braxton's eating habits um which I've tried to relax on and my difficulty lies with wanting to support him by not driving him mad and not stressing him about food being that he has this so-called feeding disorder and he just wants to eat the things he wants to eat which is you know like four or five things and wanting to let him get on with that and not drive him mad but balancing that with he's not getting enough nourishment from what he's eating um But generators generally, you know, how would you manage food with generator children? Well, the first thing that I would say about for generators just with food, there's there's a lot more that tells us about eating than just the type alone. But for the generator, as we talked about, he has that sacral motor, which means he has that gas tank. He has a lot of energy that he's burning throughout the day. So he does need fuel, right? Mm. The generators typically do need more fuel. Also, he does have a little bit of a stronger digestive system, a stronger immune system, which means that the type of food isn't going to be something to be as concerned about compared to maybe someone who had a a less, like a, not a strong digestive system and not a strong immune system. Right. Let's stop there because this is so interesting to me because I am such a believer in that. Some people are affected more by some things than other things. So for example, some people are, their health will be directly impacted by what they eat. For some people, their health will be directly impacted by their mindset and, you know, what their brain's doing. So I love that you've just said that. And also, you know, in in the same way that I said, this gives me the licensing to be authentically me. This also almost gives me permission to sit back and go, okay, stop worrying about him and what he's eating. Give him what he wants to eat. Don't drive him mad. He will be okay and he'll come to it in time his immune system is going to be okay. Because that's always my biggest concern as a nutritionist and holistic wellness coach and someone who's all about, you know, food and nutrition and the gut and the gut-brain connection and how it all impacts, how they all impact each other. It's always a major point of contention for me. So that kind of just allows me to sit back and take a breath, you know? Love that. 
Yeah. I mean, I love that. Any, anything I can offer that allows a parent to take a deep breath and go, huh, okay. Yeah. Like a breath, a sigh of relief. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing I would have to dig a little bit deeper. Um, but everything that I see in his chart tells me that he has a strong, a strong stomach. He has a strong immune system. And that, like you said, the, um, the type of food that he's eating should be the least of your worries when right. it comes to this type of child. However, I will say that something that is very important for him is that he has autonomy over his food choices and right. that he is able to eat food when he asks for it because yes. Where he needs to fuel. So we have, there's an indication in his chart that tells us he does require fuel on a regular basis. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to have a consistent eating schedule, but he needs to stay satiated in order to um, properly run out that gas tank. In fact, having, being satiated, being full, having the, the amount of informational nourishment. And I say informational nourishment rather than nutritional, like input, because I, I'm kind of coming up with my own definition of what it might be to have a nutritious diet for each individual. So I say informational input, because I do believe that in addition to digesting food, we also digest information and energy, and it's just all one in the same. Um, And he needs it consistently and he needs a lot of it. So beyond the type, what we actually do is we look at this one area of the design called, there's a, a aspect called the primary health system. And what the primary health system tells us is their unique digestive needs, how really often they're meant to digest food, um, what's going to keep their body functioning and operating and thriving in the shape and the form that it's meant to be in, Mm -hmm. and how they can make the best food decisions for themselves as individual beings. And I absolutely love this aspect of human design. This is one of my favorite things to nerd out on because it gives us so much information and there's nothing more important to me than nourishing a child according to their uniqueness. It really sets their brain up for proper development and it's never too early or too late to start nourishing your child according to their unique digestive system. Even though this is a more in-depth aspect of the um, of the human design chart, I include it in the child chart reading because I find it to be right next to energy type, the most important thing to focus on as a parent. Yeah, I really love this part of the chart and reading it. I, I think it just gives so much information and really gives us that permission to, you know, for me, just not forcing him to eat healthy, you know, the healthier foods that I want him to eat, which he's refusing and just give him what he's asking for for the moment until he can one day hopefully say to me right I'm ready for that now because I didn't push it on him Mm. um and to and I think another interesting thing that's something I've always stood by is that we make children adhere to meal times you know and they're not always hungry at meal times so uh, you know uh, and, and a lot of people are not into giving snacks but I know that he needs snacks you know he needs to be snacking in the day so again it's about acknowledging and observing our own child's unique needs, individual needs and running with that. Absolutely. And again, it's like, if you feel that you should be depriving your children of food when they ask for it, or making them adhere to three square meals a day, I just challenge you to ask yourself why, 
What did you read? What did you hear? Who told you? And if you're questioning it and you feel like challenging it, then listen to that, right? Let yourself question it. Let yourself challenge it. Because it's so important that we're not just doing it because, oh, some study told us that this was important. And if you do feel as a family that it's important to sit down at a dinner time, at a certain dinner time and have dinner, which I did growing up and my whole family still does now, and I feel it's very important. But it doesn't always mean that everyone needs to be eating. You know, if if it's important for you to all sit down as a family, what aspect of that is important? Does it matter if you're all eating the same meal? Does it matter if everyone's eating? Or is your primary concern that that's the only time of day that you all get to engage? Mm -hmm. If that's the case and meal time can't be a time for you to all sit down and do something together, how can you make time throughout the day at some point to all engage as a family and get that same sense of togetherness that you would get in a meal time, right? Mm -hmm. So there's always ways to adjust adapt and to figure out how to make things work for a family. And I always just encourage you, keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. Ask yourself, why do I think I need to do this thing? Why do I need to adhere by this rule? Why do I feel like this thing is important? Is it because someone else told you it was, or is it because it's an actual concrete belief or value that you've come up with on your own? So for digestion, I mean, there's these 12 or six different digestive system with binaries. So a little slight variation, like a spectrum on each and each has very, very unique nutritional, not so much nutritional when it comes to the food type needs, but conditions and circumstances that must be honored in order for the informational nourishment to really, um, be like trying the words I'm trying to come up with are like, almost like to activate a child's brain so that they can thrive to their, the best of their ability. So I'm curious with you, if you had a chance to look at Braxton's digestion, he's called something called direct light. If there's something that surprised you or that you were curious about, because, you know, you have all the information there, but I'll gladly dig into something. It's, I mean, it's all, you know, it says give him options and keep him satisfied. That was, you know, obviously to just give him all those options and the, the constant snacking throughout the day, giving him the permission to do that almost. Um, but with the digestion, I mean, all this information is super interesting. And I just think that, um, no, there isn't one specific thing because I'm looking at it all and I'm thinking, wow, yeah, I need to really get onto all of that. Is there one other part of the chart? Because I'm conscious that we're running out of time. You know, one other part of the chart that you do for everyone that you think this is one of the most important as well that we haven't yet covered. Mm. I would say next to digestion, there's something that goes hand in hand with it called cognition. And your cognition is ultimately what your sensory superpower is. So if you're scrolling on your chart right now, you can see that he has direct light digestion and outer vision cognition. So we know that we all have access to our sensory system, but when we are functioning optimally, you know, to the highest of our ability and, and alignment with our energy, we are able to tap into our sensory superpower. And each sensory superpower helps us dictate how to make correct choices for ourselves as far as food, relationships, uh, just experiences, opportunities. It tells us so much about learning. It's one of the things that I always look at for setting up an aligned environment, whether it be for homeschooling um, 
or just playtime, you know, setting up the playroom to really activate the senses. And we have access to all the senses, but our primary sense is the one that we are going to mostly operate from because we live in this linear kind of like, you know, this one kind of space right now where we all think that we're just operating from uh, what we see and what we hear, but really there's all of these other senses that we can discern and operate from that are just beyond our, what we can conceptualize right now. And I think that this generation, if honored, is going to have access to be able to tap in to these sensory superpowers in a way that we never even knew was possible. And they're going to show us new ways of communicating and being and behaving. Um, And in addition to that, self-regulation. Right. If we can cultivate that and nourish it in them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is a key component to co-regulating with your child is tapping into their sensory superpower because we know that self-regulation comes from a regulated nervous system. So the sensory system directly related to the nervous system, you know, directly directed to the brain, if we're nourishing the brain, according to the digestive system, the brain gut connection, then we have a regulated nervous system. And then we can co-regulate with them through this thing called cognition. So everything's connected to the brain. And I always say type, digestion, cognition, uh, profile lines, and authority. Know those things and emotional regulation, which would be the solar plexus center, which we didn't get to go get into today, but there's so many elements of this system. Absolutely. There are so many elements to it. And I would love people to get in touch with you and have, have a reading done because honestly, these charts are super comprehensive, give us every piece of information we could possibly need to know how to cultivate this, you know, and nourish our children in the way that they need to be nourished. Um, so I think this is one of the the best things we could do for our children. Um, and and the, I mean, the charts, you know, it's like a, a 34 page, really comprehensive chart. So I'm, I'm super impressed. And I'm sure my listeners are going to be as well. Um, so where can people find you and get in touch with you and have one of these readings done? Yeah. So you could find everything on my website. Just it's alexcantone.com. It's spelled like it sounds. Awesome. Um, and they can find the child chart readings there, which is sort of like your syllabus to getting started, your roadmap to getting started with all of this. And then I also have a membership community called the member portal. And what you can do is it's not a prerequisite, but I always suggest get your hands on a child chart reading and then explore with us in the member portal. And you can get a seven day free trial when you purchase actually a, um, a child chart reading. So you'll be able to explore both things and it's a complimentary resource to have to really deepen your knowledge of just yourself as a parent so that you can get out of your own way and allow your child to be the version of themselves that they were born to be. Oh my God, what an amazing quote to end on. I also just very quickly want to touch on how you've made this a business because I'm also very much about female entrepreneurship and you know following our purpose and, and using what we know to be our purpose to make a business out of it. And I love that you've made a business out of this. I just think it's absolutely amazing. And you really walk your talk as well and what you've done with this member portal and all the, the, the tools available to parents once they do a reading with you. I think it's incredible. So, you know, well done to you. (laughs) 
So I always end each episode with a little segment called All About You, where the uh, listeners can get to know a little bit more about you personally. So very quick, snappy answers. I'm going to ask you five questions and uh, just answer as quickly as you can. So what's one thing you could change about the education system? Freedom. More freedom to choose, to have a child-led curriculum and learning experience. Absolutely. Awesome. If you could give parents one piece of advice about raising children, what would it be? Focus on your energy and your needs. That's deep. (laughs) Um, What needs to change on a huge scale for the next generation of children to really thrive? Our attention to our child's natural genius and our ability to honor and trust them, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. Okay, and just a little bit of fun with the last two. If lockdown happened again and you were home and could learn one new skill because you couldn't go anywhere else, what would that skill be? Probably painting. I would love to just like have an easel in the corner over here and paint or something. I'm literally just about to start that. So really? (laughs) Yeah, there's this lady who lives locally to me. And before lockdown, I was meant to go there and on Tuesday evenings, she does these classes and you like really for beginners and she gives you all the equipment and you just start painting and she guides you a bit. And then obviously it was just before lockdown. So we couldn't, she's starting to do them on Zoom again. So I'm thinking of doing that on Zoom or I might just wait until she does it because I kind of wanted to be in the studio, you know, and just be out of my house. But we'll see. So So I would say pottery if I could do that in my home, but I'll settle with painting because I don't know if I could do pottery in my house. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the mess? (laughs) And I'm sure it doesn't always end up like that scene in Ghost. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the last one is again about lockdown. If you, if there was no TV and you could just choose one book to read through the whole of lockdown, which book would it be? This is going to sound really nerdy, but my favorite book ever is called Self-Reg by Stuart Shanker. And it was like the turning point for me understanding children and parenting through a new lens. Wow. It's amazing. Everyone needs it. We'll have to put that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Alex, thank you so much. I have loved every second of this and I could keep on talking for ages because I think I'm going to learn so much from you and how to be the best parent I can be. And so I hope other people get in touch with you um, to do that for themselves as well. So thank you so much. hope you enjoyed that show alex has kindly offered listeners of the recondition podcast a 10 percent discount for your entire child chart reading uh, by ordering on her website and using the code reconditioned 10 that's r-e-c-o-n-d-i-t-i-o-n-e-d 10 all in caps this won't be offered or publicized on my social medias it's only right here by listening to this podcast so thank you so much alex and i know you guys are going to get so much out of these child chart readings The Reconditioned Podcast is proud to support Solace Women's Aid, who support survivors of domestic abuse and sexual violence, working with over 27,000 people each year to build safe lives and strong futures.